Will you pray with me? God, we come to you this day and we are grateful for all the things that you've done, all the things that you're doing, and all of the things you're going to do. And we pray now that you soften our hearts to hear your holy word, the words your son himself spoke thousands of years ago. Prepare us to hear your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The word of the Lord. So I remember two houses that I grew up in, totally. Um, One, I only remember like bits and pieces. I remember what the front door looked like. I remember what The park was like out front, it had one of those metal slides with no coating, so if you went down in the summer, your legs burned the entire way. Um, That's one home. But the other home I lived in, I lived in for over 20 years. And I could shut my eyes right now, I haven't been in that home in five years now, but I could shut my eyes and give you all a tour of the coolest parts of this house for all its imperfections. I can tell you how many steps it takes to get upstairs, I can tell you how many steps it takes to get downstairs to the basement, I always counted steps. 
I could tell you about the trampoline in the back, but all the divots in the yard. I could tell you which couch was the most comfortable, which kitchen seat you would move so your sibling didn't get to sit in it. I could tell you all kinds of things about this house that made it special. It's the house I was raised in. But the best part of this house was this little porch out front. Um, It was not pretty. Uh, It was just concrete and a rotting column holding it up. But there were these two rocking chairs on this porch. And they were old. They were my grandmother's rocking chairs, and then they were my parents' rocking chairs. And I tell you, I spent my entire childhood in these rocking chairs. Summer days, I escaped the sun by these, using these rocking chairs. Many of you know I get about 30 seconds before sunburn occurs. Um, but I also spent many nights in these rocking chairs. Completely ordinary rocking chairs, by the way. It's not like they, you know, were made by Ben Franklin or something like that. They just have always been a part of my life. And so much of my life, I can tell you how many times I've been there with friends and family, and my childhood was in these rocking chairs. Well, my parents decided to move a few years ago, and we had to decide what to do with these chairs. And my dad, he's an emotional man, but he pretends not to be. He's like, we're just throwing them out. We're throwing everything out. Got to move. And I was like, you can't throw these chairs out. We got to keep the chairs. So I took the chairs, and now they're here in Swickley. So from my grandmother to my parents to now, they're sitting on my porch here in Swickley, and I still escape the sun in these rocking chairs. And I enjoy watching the storms in these rocking chairs, and I enjoy looking at these rocking chairs. But finally, I realized they were looking a little dry and decrepit. And um, they definitely belonged to my grandmother because I don't think they were taken care of since then. Um, They were gray. They were ready to rot, I think. And so I finally, last weekend, a friend of mine and I decided we're going to sand these chairs, we're going to oil them, we're going to breathe new life into them. And I can tell you two things. One is that Sanding is not for the faint of heart, and, I, and two, I'm not good at it at all. Uh, my friend was far more dedicated to the sanding process than me. Uh, I got at least five splinters in this hand. Um, there's nothing more embarrassing than in the middle of it. My neighbor was like, hey, you need some tweezers? I can go get the tweezers. And it's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> you know, a little tear in the eye. Um, but it took what I thought was going to be a two-hour process was two days and over five or six hours to sand it down. And every time I thought it was done, I would step back and to my dismay find out I didn't even do the second half of the chair. Like, there's a whole backside and underside. There was way more detail to these chairs than I thought. Um, but the job got done, and eventually we oiled them, and they look great. You wouldn't even know they're the same chairs. And now, like, I, walk, I haven't even sat in them yet. I walk up on my porch, and I'm just so proud, even though my friend did 80% of the work. But I think about those chairs and the history in these rocking chairs. Completely ordinary objects, but they, before they were mine, they were my parents, and before they were my parents, they were my grandmothers. And I wonder how many people have sat in these chairs, how many stories have been told, how many tears have been shed, how many laughs have been shared in these completely ordinary chairs. And I think about our faith and the faith that we have that's been passed down to us from generation to generation and how it can be this enjoyable part of our experience like an old rocking chair and yet it can be in need of some good sanding and some good oil. 
to bring life back into it. And so those chairs have become a major part of my life. They're just chairs. But when I look at them, they represent so much more than that. Today, as we've said already at least six times, is a beautiful celebratory time in the life of our church. We just watched 11 students get confirmed. We watched two of them get baptized. We're celebrating our graduating seniors from high school and college today that there's countless numbers of people, teenagers that have come up through the life of this church, living the life of faith, running the race. And we're here to celebrate that today. It's not just about them, it's about all of us in this community together. At every point, the the joys and triumphs of one of us should be the joy and triumph of all of us. And in the same way, the suffering and struggles of one of us should be the suffering and struggles of all of us. That's what community is. But sometimes days like today can feel like graduation of our faith. For the congregation, you might say, I got the kids there, they got baptized as a baby, and now they're confirmed, and now it's up to them. But that's not community. As students, you might feel like, all right, I'm still going to love Jesus, but at least I made it here, and we'll see what happens next. But that's not community. Community is doing life together. Moving forward from this moment where God's leading us. And in our passage today, we see Jesus talking about a few different things. One, it's one of the famous places he calls himself the Good Shepherd. Jesus is telling us that as the Good Shepherd, there's all kinds of things that might come up because the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, but there are also thieves and bandits that come into our lives and that their mission is to steal, kill, and destroy us. But Jesus says the antithesis of that. What Jesus does instead is that he's come to give us life and life abundantly. Now, other translations actually render this phrase, life in the full. And I wonder, what do we think of when we think of abundant life or life in the full? Because all of human experience is about us looking for abundance, looking for fulfillment. Everything that we do, whether it's the music that we listen to or the food that we eat or the books that we read or the movies we watch, we're doing these things because we believe they will bring us joy or fulfillment or meaning. Who am I? Who am I becoming? These are the questions of human experience. Everything that we do is about this question, what does it mean to have life in the full? Now, Jesus uses this analogy, and once again, it it does make me laugh in the year 2021 that the the writers of the gospel said, Jesus said this, but no one understood it. I was like, well, yeah, 2,000 years later, we still struggle to understand it. So he tried to make sense of it again, and it still didn't make all that much sense. But what does it mean to each of you to look for fulfillment in your lives? Whether you're 14 or 80 Where are you looking for joy right now? Where are you looking for meaning? Where do you define the good things in your life? Because the truth is that everything in the world around you promises you that fulfillment. 
Every food at the grocery store, they've got entire people that chemically compound these things to make it taste good and make you want more because it's going to make you think it's what you need. Or every diet plan is going to tell you it's going to make you look the way you think you want to look. Then you'll be happy. Or every new album tells you it's the, it's the greatest album that's ever come out. You've never heard anything like it. It'll change your life. Every movie, every book, every church, we do it different here. You'll never worship Jesus like you worship him here. All of our lives is about selling fulfillment. And every human being is looking for it. So the question is, where do we find life and life abundantly and life in the full? And in this text, Jesus says, it's with him. Now the problem is, I believe we see glimpses of that joy and fulfillment in all of those areas. I believe you listen to a great song and it can be a spiritual experience where you've encountered God in some way. You can read a great book and the themes that move you can point you to God and point you to church and point you to the meaning of life. I believe that God breaks through at every part of our lives if we learn how to see him. But if we don't, If we're so distracted by the things and not looking for God himself, then we'll lose both entirely. If we mistake the joy that we find in our relationships or in our hobbies or in our our friends, in our jobs, if we mistake meaning for life in those things rather than in our faith, in our God, then we'll lose it. Now, many of you know how much I love C.S. Lewis, but he does say something pretty potent here. He says that human beings were made the way that, by God, the way that humans make engines for a car. Now, this is before Tesla. But in Lewis's example, he says that cars were designed to run on oil, and nothing else is going to help them run properly except for that oil. And in the same way, human beings were designed to run on God himself. He is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, the food we were designed to eat. And so when we look for happiness and joy and fulfillment outside of the experience of God, we can't find it. Not because God doesn't want us to, but because it doesn't exist. That's not what we were created to be. That's not what the journey of faith is about. And every negative part of human history can be tied back to the fact that humans are looking for something else, power, greed, dominance, that they think will bring meaning, but it doesn't. And so Jesus in the Gospels is telling us here that when the thieves and the bandits come into your life and promise you All you need to do is this one thing, and then you'll be happy. Jesus is like, please don't fall for that trap. I've come to give you life and give you life in the full, to give you life abundantly. Now, again, this doesn't mean that the good things in our lives, the relationships we have, the the sports that we play, that there's not true experience of God or joy in those places. But it means that we need to figure out where those places belong in our lives. When we talk about faith, you know, we can relegate it and designate it to Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Or maybe a couple years ago, it was Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock or at 9 o'clock. Or maybe you're an 11 o'clocker. We definitely don't do evening services. Maybe Sundays are, that's where we find God. But, you know, those other days, 
we're just getting through the week. But that's such a limited view of the power and the mission of the Holy Spirit. God is everywhere if we choose to find him in those places. If we choose to listen for the good shepherd's voice that Jesus talks about here in John 10. And so it's not that only spiritual things can happen in this church. But it's rather that spiritual things happen where we allow God to work in our lives. But again, we have to put him first. Now, the early church knew all about this. They had this principle called first and second things. And the idea was that in all of our lives, I don't have to convince you, we have priorities. Um, Hopefully, you know, your family's priority, eating three meals a day, that is a priority. Those take precedence over like setting a new record on a video game or like finishing a novel. It's not like these other things can't be good things, but they have to have their proper place. Sports are beautiful. I played three sports, you might not be able to tell now, but I played three sports year-round for six years from middle school to high school. I tell the kids, I was a varsity soccer player in a school that I graduated with nine people, but nonetheless, (laughs) I was a letterman jacket holder. But the truth is that sports, there's so much you learn in sports. You learn camaraderie, you learn responsibility, you learn leadership. The joy of winning a goal. I just heard about the lacrosse game the other day and a a goal made in the final seconds to get us to the next leg of the playoffs. That's euphoric in some ways. I'm not trying to take away from that, but rather we have to recognize that sports can be important, but family is hopefully more important. Your job is important, but not more important than the lives in your home. Your schoolwork's important, but not more important than your mental health. The things that you are passionate about, those are important, but not important enough to let go of this faith. And it's not that God's saying, choose me over those other things and give them up forever, but he might. But what I have found is that when we learn to put God first and these other things Second, it in fact enables us to love God better and to love those things better. Until we learn how to put God first and to love God properly, we can never love one another properly. That's why we still struggle with the commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves. We all know the golden rule. It's in every TV show. You don't have to come to church to know it, and yet we fail to do it. And it's because we still try to get by, cramming for the test of the life of our faith, saying, okay, well, you know, we'll put God here, and on Sundays, we'll put him up top for an hour and a half, and maybe in the afternoons, but for the rest, I've got to go to work. But what if when you walked out of these doors, you saw every moment of your lives, from walking to Starbucks, or going to your job, or having a slice of cake, or going home to make a meal, every moment of your lives is an opportunity to encounter abundant life in Jesus, if you're looking for Jesus. He reverberates in every area of creation. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this faith is about. But we have to have eyes to see it. And the difficulty is that sometimes if we don't have eyes to see it, sometimes if we don't believe fully, if we don't have it all figured out, we think that we're outcasts. We're the only ones with questions. We're the only ones that don't look the part, but that's not true. 
the most liberating part of this faith is that it's not about you. This faith is about Jesus. It was passed down to you. Confirmands, you can look to the back of this church and you'll see some people with hairlines like mine. You'll see some gray hair. You'll see all kinds of people that have been here since before you were born, worshiping Jesus in this space, singing some of the songs we sing this morning. Everyone in the back, I won't designate you any way other than that. You can look forward and you'll see teenagers that are leading this church, not the church of tomorrow, church right now. We don't believe in junior members. These teenagers are the ones that help us see our blind spots that we've gotten so comfortable with. Everyone in this building, 200 years ago, there were people worshiping in Swickley. A thousand years ago, there were Christians worshiping. Look at the stained glass around this room. They're testaments of apostles and disciples and reformers, of people that have passed the faith down to us. So it's not about whether or not you have to figure it all out. It's not about looking the part. It's not about being the best or the smartest or the strongest in the room. It's about chasing abundant life in Jesus Christ as a community. And the beauty of that is that the days where you feel like you don't have it all figured out, the days when you feel like you don't have the answers, the days when you can't get out of bed because of the depression or the suffering or the frustration or the lack of confidence, community says, we're with you. Community is when you go to sand some old rocking chairs and after about 20 minutes you've got five splinters and you question every part of your life up to that moment. Am I a competent human? And you have a friend that says, I'll sand those chairs with you. I'll breathe life back into these chairs with you. Our faith is about more than the individual moments where we think we have to have the right answers or say the right things or do the right things. Faith is a lifelong journey. But there are thieves and bandits that are telling you that if you don't look the part, you can't come with the group. Thieves and bandits that tell you, don't bother about God. You can find joy and happiness, fulfillment everywhere else. Thieves and bandits, just like the one in the Garden of Eden that said, you don't need God to survive. Eat this fruit and you'll be just fine. But Jesus, he's not trying to trick you. This isn't a deal or no deal. Jesus is pleading with you. The things that promise you fulfillment won't give it to you. And there's a lot of noise in the world. There are a lot of things in your life that matter a whole lot. The schools you go to, whether you're a, a student in high school or a graduating senior or a, a student that just got out of college into the workforce, those things matter. But the noise that they generate can drown out the voice of God if you let it. The noise of this life, of suffering, of a worldwide pandemic, of political chatter, Dividing the church, dividing us as friends and families, that noise is there to distract us from the voice of the good shepherd who says, my sheep know my voice. And so you could say that the, the journey of faith is about learning how to listen well. Listen for the shepherd's voice, listen to one another as they're pointing us along the way. I don't know who said it, but there's a famous saying that Christianity is about one beggar telling another beggar where the food is. The liberation and freedom of the gospel 
is that it lets us let go of the things we thought we had to do to mean something in this life. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone, how long you've been gone, where you've been, the entire message of the gospel is that the good news is for everyone. And whether you're a student that got confirmed today or a student that's graduated high school or college, you're a senior or a senior citizen, it doesn't matter. The community of faith is for all ages and all races and all styles and passions and ethnicities of all time. And what we're called to is to chase abundant life recklessly to the point where the rest of the world looks at us and goes, you're crazy. Why would you pursue this faith when all you've experienced is suffering? Why would you chase this faith when it's going to end you up in a worse school or a worse job? And the freedom of that faith is that you know it's where the abundance is. It's where life in the full is. And so our faith as a community is bigger than Confirmation Sunday. It's bigger than baptisms. It's bigger than memorizing Bible verses. It's bigger than showing up to church. It's bigger than your prayers you say. It's bigger than reading your Bible. Our faith is about community pursuing abundance together. And how we do that is dictated right here and now. It's dictated by the young people's ability to have a voice in this church. It's dictated by the young people also listening to the other voices in this church. It's dictated by all of us working together to see justice flow like a river in our country, in this, in this town, in our world. Faith is bigger than one moment. So don't let it stop here. And don't let one moment be the thing that ends it too. Let us work together and move forward as a community to see where God will lead us from confirmation forward. Amen.